Well, wherever in the world you are listening from, it's likely that flood is one of the perils that you're exposed to, possibly even of catastrophic proportions. But flood is also one of the hardest perils to model. And until recently, there have been few choices for those looking for tools to manage portfolios or select risks, certainly outside of the UK. Now, things are starting to change and for a number of reasons. This includes the opening up of flood insurance to the commercial market in the US, increasing population densities and more powerful analytics. So there are now an increasing number of companies emerging to model flood, offer insurance and help assess future climate scenarios. JBA Risk Management and its parent JBA have actually been around offering flood consulting data and they're now offering models and they've been there since 1995. They've become well established in the UK and are now offering a flood model around the world. We've been talking and writing about flood risk and how the market is changing for quite some time and you're going to see a lot more from us coming later in the year. If you're a first time listener, welcome. I'm Matthew Grant, partner at Instec London. Robin Mertens, myself, and our growing team are talking to hundreds of companies each month in order to help our network of insurers, technology companies, startup investors, and others understand what is really going on in InsurTech and beyond. Glad you found us. Now, this is another fact-filled episode, but no need to stop what you're doing to take notes as you'll find all you need on our website, link in the episode notes. So just sit back, lean in, or keep up whatever you're doing, and join me as I talk to Jane Tootill and Matt Reed. Jane, Matt, we've known each other for, crikey, many years. It's a delight to be talking to both of you today about JBA. Uh, JBA is one of these companies that has been around for many years now, but is still doing some incredibly innovative work and is being used by a number of the leading insurance companies, certainly in the UK, and as we're going to talk about shortly, increasingly worldwide as well. You've been also looking at risk at location level, which is very important when it comes to modelling flood, given how high resolution that is. Jane Tootill, you have been uh, working in reinsurance broking. You've been with JVA since 2008. You were promoted to managing director earlier this year. Congratulations. Uh, Matt, we know each other from our days in RMS where you had experience uh, with a modeling company. Last five years, you've been heading up JVA's activities in the US. Jane, delighted to have you on board. Thank you. And Matt, you're joining us from uh, California. Yeah, great to be here. Fantastic. Well, Jane, just starting off, first of all, so that for those not familiar with JBA Risk Management, can you just say a few words about the company's history? JBA Group started as an engineering and environmental consultancy specialising in flood risk management in 1995 and now employs over 500 people worldwide. I joined JBA in 2008 with the intent of setting up its business in reinsurance and cap modelling. And in 2011, we were able to set up the new company, JBA Risk Management, with 18 people. Today, JBA Risk Management, still part of the JBA group, employs over 100 people across six different countries. We've retained our original focus on flooding and we provide a range of products and services to companies throughout the financial and property sector, including insurers, reinsurers, governments and banks. Well, that's a a great story. And do you still have connections with the broader JBA company group and the way you work together on projects? Yes, we do. And JBA Consulting remains an engineering consultancy that focuses on everything to do with water. 
their expertise gives us the unique ability to offer to clients the full range of flood related services from desktop work such as flood models right through to site surveys, assessments and even the design and deployment of flood mitigation works. This means that a large client seeking insurance for a portfolio of locations uh, might first assess its exposure across the whole of its portfolio using our maps and models. But then if the level of risk at any given location is particularly high, they can work with JBA Consulting's engineers to obtain a more detailed site flood risk assessment for the location and potentially also then go on to working with us uh, to design and implement the measures needed to mitigate the flood risk. Yeah, I guess it's really interesting about what you're doing at the location level or individual facilities. Clearly, that is really important to understand, particularly when they're higher value. And the part that most people who know you will likely be aware of from an insurance point of view is the, the modelling analytics, but clearly underpinned by some very significant research. But you're now looking at models globally. I think when I talked to one of your colleagues before, uh, we heard you were covering 98% of the world's landmass. I think you said you wish you'd built a Greenland and uh, Antarctic models so that you could have had the whole world covered. But What's going to happen next for uh, for JBA? We started flood mapping work in the UK and Republic of Ireland. Uh, but once we'd mapped those countries and improved the map several times over via our annual update programme, the challenge of generating a global set of flood maps was too much to resist. One of the most important components of any flood model is terrain data, which provides the elevation of the land at any given point. For several years, we've provided 30 metre flood mapping uh, for every country worldwide uh, that's not covered in ice, perhaps to summarise your comment about Greenland and Antarctica. In parallel with the mapping work, we started development of a global flood event set. And once we had those two data sets, uh, then releasing a global probabilistic model uh, was the obvious next challenge for us to take on. We launched that in 2019. It's caused us to completely rethink how CAT models are created, to sit down with a blank sheet of paper and completely rethink the best approach to how we can design a CAT model for flood. The result of that is our FLY modelling technology, which, as its name suggests, builds a flood model on the fly at runtime, selecting the flood frequency and severity data required for the analysis of that specific portfolio at a resolution that's most appropriate for the data in the portfolio. It means we can maximise analysis efficiency without compromising the accuracy of results. It also means that we can give users a huge amount of control over the parameters and assumptions used in the analysis. A user might, for example, choose to adjust the relationship between flood depth and damage at a property to adjust assumptions about the standard of protection offered by flood defences, uh, or perhaps to specify the hours clause to be applied at analysis time. Can you talk a little bit about what you're doing with regards to climate change flood modelling and advising your your clients? And I'd also, part of that, be interested to know to what extent yeah, that could be information they can use in the short term or it could influence risk management decisions and pricing in the short term versus some of the longer term impacts. The financial sector is fast waking up to the problems that climate change will likely cause, particularly in relation to flood, for which there's a body of evidence showing links between a warming climate and increased severity and frequency of flooding. 
We started in the UK with the release of a climate conditioned cat model. Um, so that's been available in the market for a couple of years now. And we followed that more recently with the release of our climate change analytics data, uh, which enables clients to look at the impact of different um, concentration pathways and different time horizons on the risk at a single location. And that term, a climate conditioned flood model, I like that. Uh, but can you just explain what that means from a practical point of view? So the way that we created that model was to take our current climate UK flood model and to adjust the frequency and severity of events in the model uh, for a chosen climate scenario in the future and a chosen point in time, which was 2040. And having got good feedback on the steps that we were taking with that model, we're now looking at how we can extend that approach so that we would enable clients to be able to um, pick one of a range of climate scenarios and also a range of time horizons over which they would like to consider climate change and essentially then run the CAT model for those choices that they've made. Lloyds is now looking at going beyond their traditional way of measuring probabilistic loss from perils, including flood, and starting to introduce stress tests. And I think we'll see that in different uh, areas of the world as the regulators look at you know, what the capital allocation, the capital requirements are. So I'm sure that's going to be very helpful. Uh, and then for people that are using your data, you, you mentioned the fly, the model you have. Uh, we've also spoken with uh, you in the past about what you're doing through the NASDAQ platform, but can you just talk a little bit about how your clients are using the data and the modelling today and, and how they might be using it in the future? So if I consider our two main products, which are the flood maps and the probabilistic models, uh, those are used in quite different ways by clients. So the maps are primarily used for underwriting and pricing. We take the flood maps, which provide the water depth associated with different frequencies of flooding, and from those derive flood risk scores, which summarise the risk at a location into a single number that can be easily translated into underwriting rules. And that enables companies to apply different terms to policies in different locations according to the level of flood risk. Further data set that we then produce from the maps provides an estimate of the annualised cost of flooding at properties in different locations, and that can then be used for pricing risk. The CAT models are rather used to calculate the potential cost of flood for a portfolio of risks. The output is a loss exceedance curve, which gives the expected cost of flooding at different return periods, either net or gross of insurance and reinsurance terms. That information can be used for risk management purposes. So, for example, to enable a company to manage its portfolio so that its overall exposure to flood doesn't reach a level that it finds unacceptable uh, or indeed that the regulator finds unacceptable. Um, and it can also be used to help calculate the technical cost of reinsurance purchase for flood risk. The way that our UK climate change model has been used is that clients have compared the results they obtain from the current climate model to those they obtain from the future climate model. And that gives them uh, guidance on how they might expect to see their overall risk change in the coming years. And then in terms of flood itself, of course, flood comes in 
in different forms. Can you talk a bit about the different types of flood that you model and maybe just a few words about you know, what those actually mean from a sort of lay person's point of view and understanding them? Flooding is uh, quite complex as a peril and it can result from a number of different causes. The three main types of flooding are coastal, river and surface water flooding. And to go through those one by one, coastal flood is caused by high sea levels driven by a combination of wind and low pressure. When we model coastal flood, though, we must also take the state of the tide into account because a large surge event may have no impact at low tide but considerable impact at high tide. River or fluvial flooding is a result of water levels in rivers exceeding the capacity of the river channel or its defences causing inundation of surrounding areas and surface water or pluvial flooding is caused by excessive rainfall that lands on the ground and and directly causes flooding. There are other sources of flooding. So, for example, the failure of reservoirs or canals or the rise of groundwater and tsunami would be another kind, uh, in that case caused by earthquakes. But the three main categories uh, that cause the majority of flooding are coastal, river and surface water. Well, that was a great description. I think we should make sure we extract that and put it out there as the, the definition of flood types to look at. So, Matt, a good link into you now for the US and coastal that Jay mentioned you know, has seen some big losses. Hurricane Sandy, Hurricane Katrina drove a big flood loss as well. What is the sort of predominant flood peril there across the US? Is it is it driven by coastal flooding or, or are there other types of floods such as ones that... Jane referred to that are really driving the overall losses? I'll take a little bit of a liberty with that question, Matthew, if I may, and say that I think actually the predominant flood peril in the United States is the, is, is the protection gap. When we look at data from events like Harvey and Sandy, one of the things that, that really stands out is that so many of the properties that were impacted by those events carry no flood cover whatsoever. They're not within the NFIP's special flood zones. This is bad news, right, for the property owners, but it also carries a degree of reputational risk for the carriers. If you're a property owner, you know, I certainly expect my insurer to offer me appropriate cover. And when they fail to do so, it reflects pretty poorly back on those carriers. NFIP, that's the US National Flood Insurance Programme. We're going to be hearing more about that in a few minutes. We've seen a good amount of legal action, in particular in the aftermath of Harvey, that relates exactly to that situation where homeowners are unhappy that they weren't advised to take any flood cover, but then found themselves under several feet of water. Now, Assuming your question was really getting at what's the predominant source of flooding, then yes, we do need to think about storm surge on the eastern seaboard and the Gulf states. That's what drives the majority of the economic losses, either from storm surge, which we saw with Sandy, or from pluvial and fluvial flooding, which is predominantly what we saw with Harvey as the result of that just massive amount of rainfall that was that was dumped on the land mass. It is, though, also worth mentioning that, you know, if we look at some historical events, the, the Great Mississippi Flood of 1927 
was an event that unfolded over months and caused damage that today would be is estimated to be in the in the range of a billion dollars. And I think this is noteworthy because it speaks to the range of types of flood that we see in the U.S. This was an event that unfolded over months and it was the result of a massive catchment area that saw heavy rainfalls way upstream months before all that water made its way downstream to a point where the Mississippi even couldn't contain it. And of course, today we have flood management measures and mitigation measures to prevent that. But that risk is still there. We'd be foolish to forget that that sort of risk still exists. And then finally, you know, flood is the most pervasive of all the natural perils. Flooding occurs in every state. And it's not just the large events that make national or international news that do drive losses for insurers. Matt, that was really helpful. There's a lot in there. So anybody didn't catch all of that or write down notes, don't forget that we do a very nice write up of these and you can read it as well as listen. But Matt, I just want to come back for those that aren't familiar with how flood insurance is offered in the US versus in the UK. So in the UK, Flood is predominantly, there are some exceptions, but it's predominantly offered with your homeowner's policy. But as you said, in the U.S., that isn't always included. There is an obligation in some cases for the insurance company to offer it. But can you just talk a bit more about it You know, for somebody that's not familiar with how that might work for homeowners in the U.S., how, how flood coverage is offered? There are two aspects. There's the regulated market, which exists under the auspices of the National Flood Insurance Program, the NFIP. Then there is also a, a private market, which is not subject to that same degree of regulation. But essentially, uh, the NFIP will um, classify according to their own flood insurance rate maps certain properties to be in or out of certain flood zones. It's a pretty complex um, program, but should a community elect to join the National Flood Insurance Program, then they have to they have to undertake certain floodplain management activities. And in essence, in return for engaging in that program, then there are fixed insurance rates set for flood covers. We can argue the the ins and outs of such a heavily regulated government program. But we should note the program is very heavily in debt. The limits on the cover that the NFIP provides are very often not adequate. And so this is why we're beginning to see the emergence of a private flood insurance market, although the penetration is still very low. Clearly, yeah, as you describe what happens with the Mississippi completely different scale, I hope so anyway, of anything that we're likely to experience in the UK. What is it about what you've been doing in the UK that has given you confidence that you can move into the US and, and handle the sort of totality and complexity of flooding there? We've leveraged our experience in modelling flood at high resolution and at scale, right? So all of the lessons that we learned about how to model flood carry over. Some of the inputs may change, but the fundamental processes and methodologies all hold. And when you have maps being used as extensively 
and having used for as long as our maps have been used in the UK, you better know that they're going to get a lot of scrutiny. So that feedback has helped us to refine and tune our methods and our approaches over the years. And now we're bringing all of that experience, or we have brought, in fact, all of that experience to bear in developing our US flood maps. The second dimension is our experience in helping clients integrate flood data into their systems, their workflows, and I guess ultimately into their decision-making processes. It's not just about having really good data. It's about knowing how to use that data and how to deploy it appropriately. And then, Matt, sort of a question to you for what I asked Jane, and Jane gave us a very thorough description of how JBA risk management is offering data to insurance organizations and others in the UK. How, how does that compare to what you're offering for companies in the US? We offer um, for the US pretty much everything that, that Jane described. So we have hazard data at five meter resolution. Jane talked about hazard data being translated into flood scores to make it more easily consumable in the underwriting process. We have that available. All of our hazard maps come with a defended view and an undefended view, which is to say you can assess risk based on flood defenses that are in place, or you can assess the risk based on a worst case scenario where all of the defenses fail. And I, I mention that specifically in the US because some of our flood defenses are not as well maintained as they are elsewhere in the world. So having that flexibility is important. We do have pricing data for the US, which is the ability to query an individual location for a, an average annual loss or a technical price. Using the fly technology that, that Jane mentioned, we have the capability now to provide probabilistic flood models for the US as well, or even given the flexibility of fly for potentially for individual states. Good. Well, Jay, Matt, you covered a lot there, but I've been asking you a lot of questions. Is there anything I've missed out that we should be talking about that you think is important for people to know about what you're doing with the data or, or modeling either in the UK or in the US? It's worth talking about um, JBA Trust. It's a charity funded by the profits of other JBA group companies. The aims of the trust are to increase understanding of flood risk through research and training. In 2019, the trust sponsored 18 higher education projects, including 11 PhDs, published six peer-reviewed papers that year and provided input to the third UK Climate Change Risk Assessment Report, which is used to inform the UK government's approach to adaptation for climate change. Something we didn't touch on is the fact that while storm surge is a major factor in, in flooding, and certainly on the eastern seaboard in the Gulf states, that is a wind-driven peril, and we, we are the flood people. And so in order to, to do the best job we could of modeling the storm surge, we, we partnered with a, a U.S. company called Applied Research Associates, ARA, ARA have one of the four commercial hurricane models that are approved by the Florida Commission for Hurricane Loss Projection. And we used ARA's data to, to understand the maximum sea levels driven by that, those wind events. 
And then we modeled the inland flood impact from that point on. And, you know, the point being that we combined ARA's expert knowledge of wind and how it drives sea levels with our expert knowledge of modeling flood to get the best possible data. Thanks for that, Matt. And uh, and Jane, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for your support as corporate members. Uh, you are also, of course, featuring in our location intelligence report, which uh, we've got close to a thousand people already downloading that. So hopefully your telephone or emails are reflecting that. Uh, and also, I don't tell anybody else, but I did a quick word search. and You're mentioned 22 times in that report, as well as the full profile on page 61. So obviously, we found lots of things to talk about JBA across that whole report. So I uh, really look forward to hearing how things are going as you move further into the US over uh, the next year. But you know, many thanks to both of you. And Matt, who knows, you might see each other again in uh, either if you come over to the UK or we find the excuse to come back over to California at some point, yeah, maybe even the next three to six months, who knows. Who'd have thought it, we'd be saying it'd be nice to be able to get back on a plane sometime. <laughs> thank you very much, Jane, thank you. Thanks, thanks for your time, Matthew. Thanks. Bye. Well, there was a lot in that one. So if you're collecting your professional development points, you've definitely earned your credits this week. We are also accredited by the Chartered Insurance Institute, CII, here in the UK. Please do keep telling us what you think of these. Matthew Grant on LinkedIn. It's great to know who's listening. Better still, if you like them, please do tell someone else. You'll find a link to our location intelligence report that I mentioned in our episode notes, and you can download it from our website, free to members. And now finally, a word from Henry. Henry here, part of the research team at Instech London. We believe parametric insurance will be a major theme driving change in insurance over the next decade. So to help you keep up to date, we're launching a monthly email newsletter dedicated to bringing you the latest news, insights and developments from companies offering parametric solutions. Sign up for free at instec.london slash parametric.